Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. How concerned are you for those that God has put in your care? How much do you care? How much prayer goes in? How much thought goes in? How much time do you spend thinking about how they're doing? What's going on? What can you do for them? Are you concerned about the well-being of those that are under your care? Mordecai was not just in her life. It wasn't like now she's out of my care. She's in the palace. Praise God. Uh, He wasn't out there, you know, running around being free. Every day it says he got down there and he was trying to find out how it was going with her in the palace. He was concerned. In your walk with Christ, have you ever abandoned the relationships entrusted to you? Have you ever gotten lazy and left behind the most important callings for your life? In today's message... Pastor Bill wants you to know that you need to be diligent in always being there for the people whom God has blessed you with. Nothing is more important than nurturing others. It doesn't matter if they're a believer or not. Always put them before yourself, just as Jesus did. Be a servant to the whole world. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Hand of God. God let jacked up stuff happen to Job. God tells us in the first chapter, Job is a good dude, upright, famous. I mean, it's upright, blameless, not famous. Fears God, shuns evil, right? God, God's own admission, Job is, is, he's a good dude. God brags on Job to the devil. God says to Satan, he says, hey, where you been? Have you considered my servant? Have you checked him out? Look at him, upright, blameless, fears God. There's none like him in the land. Check him out. And God makes this a negotiation with Satan and lets him do stuff to him. Take all his wealth, uh, jack up his health, um, put words in his wife's mouth, you know, ultimately, you know, ruin everything in his life except, you know, kill him. And then at the end of the book of Job, right, God extends his life. God lets him see his kids and grandkids for three generations, restores kids to him. Um, puts everything back together again. And so God turns that into good. And now we got the book of Job. So we know when we know that bad things can happen to good people. Amen. Some people say, well, how come bad things happen to good people? Um, you know, and, and the reality is why do good things happen to bad people? That's, well, I don't know why we don't ask that one, right? Everybody want to know why the bad things happen to good people, but why the good things happen? Because all of us is bad people. Why do good things happen to you? We should be asking that question, but I digress. Um, so back to Esther uh, and, and Mordecai. He is um, taking her in. Uh, I want to say this. Mordecai's name, if you look it up, it means little man, right? Not not really what most men want to be called. You know, most guys, if you, if you want to offend a man, they say, what's up, little man? You know, you can say that to a little kid, but you don't really want to say that to a grown man, even if he is little. Um, But that's what his name means. And even though he may be, he may have been little in stature or that may have just been his name. He's not a little man in terms of his life and his impact. Um, His name may mean little man, but Mordecai is a man that has significant impact um, because of the kind of man he was, because of the kind of character that he has. Um, and so again, he steps up to take care of his female cousin and, and maybe for some of, of us today watching for some of us men, if we can take a lesson from Mordecai, maybe this is a reminder for you to be an active spiritual leader in the lives of your own children. 
in the lives of those that God has put under your care. Maybe, maybe watching Mordecai step up to be a father figure for this young woman that's not his, but he's saying she needs a man and I'm the man in her life. I'm going to step in. I'm going to be her dad. I'm going to teach her the things of God. I'm going to cover her. I'm going to look out for her. I'm going to counsel her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to be concerned about how she's doing. He does that for someone that's not even his. And today we got men that are out there to have kids that are their own. And they're not concerned and they're not stepping up. So maybe Mordecai is an example for some of us men that we need to step up and and, and really fulfill God's calling on our life uh, over our children, those that God has put under our care. Also, it's possible, right? Maybe there are men or women that are watching this and there may be in your life young men or young women that don't have a dad, don't have a mom, and God has put you there. Would you step in and be for somebody else what they don't have? Maybe God puts puts you in some people's life and you you're going to be the dad for this era. You're going to you're going to show them what a godly man is like or what a godly woman is like and and not because they belong to you, not because they're yours, but because God has put them in your life and they're looking to you. And so maybe some of us can take from this example and and step into something that God put before us. Um, and, and see how God might use it. Because look at the fruit of, of this, right? Mordecai is not going to be the one to save the Jewish people. But this this pretty little girl that he raised and protected, she is, right? She's going to be the one. God's going to use her to do it. And so moving on now, look at verses 8 and 9. It says, so it was when the king's command and decree were heard. And when the, when the many young women were gathered at Sushan the citadel under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken, note was taken, to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custody of the women, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained favor. So he readily gave her beauty preparations besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So a couple of things happen here in verses eight and nine. First, after the king's decree went out to go pick all the virgin women out, I told you guys that the secular historian Josephus says there about 400 women were picked up in its wave of, of collection of virgin girls um, to, you know, to see which one will get to be queen. Um, I want you to note that it, they weren't going around saying, hey, do you want to come? Hey, hey, would you like to come? You, you you couldn't turn the king down. Y'all understand that? So when they rolled up, when the king's men rolled up and said, hey, now I want you to imagine what this would be like. Imagine all you women were there and the king was, no, 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 no. Her, I want her right there. You come on. Um, I wonder how offensive that might have been to those that were like, nah, 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 you know, but, you know, they were picking whoever they were picking and it wasn't optional. They weren't able to say, I don't want to go. They, they weren't, if you're, if you were a virgin, you were beautiful. You were, you were, you know, the king has need of you in his harem right now and you got to come. So, um, I want you to understand this, this might not have been the blessing to everybody. Maybe to some, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I was trying to think if there anything in our culture like this at all, and not really, but I, I thought of a couple things that maybe just give us an idea uh, there's some of these shows. I think they're pretty stupid. I'll say that right up front. So, uh, like the Bachelorette or the Bachelor. So they'll they'll have some guy or some guy is the prize, 
And then they got the show is all these women that are hoping to get picked to be his wife. And so they go on dates and they do things on the show and the women get to live together and fight and be catty and, you know, all that's messy. You know, I think those shows are just for that, just to create a bunch of drama and mess. I don't think those marriages work. I don't think those people stay together. Um, You know, it's just for for TV or whatever. But imagine all those women coming and and everybody's many of them hoping that they're going to be the one. Can you imagine what the atmosphere was like there? Uh, imagine the sizing up women do it anyway, right? Women already, you know, look at each other and, and compare, but imagine being there where it's like, you're looking at the competition. I wonder if it's going to be me or her, you know, I got to do something. I got to, I got to scratch her eyeball or something. You know, she, she's, her eyes is pretty. I got to poke them out or something, you know, who knows what, what went on in that place. But, um, you know, as we continue on, um, these women were brought in for their beauty preparations and we see something that happens. Um, Haggai is in charge. He's the, he's the eunuch in charge of the, the, all the women. And it says in verse nine, something about Esther. It says, now the young woman pleased him. Doesn't tell us what, we don't know if it was her godly character. We don't know if it was her, uh, her beauty. Um, you know, sometimes it's kind of unfair, but beauty can, uh, get people, people get are favorable to someone beautiful, someone that looks well. So it might've been just her beauty, whatever it was, she obtained his favor. Um, we might look at that and say, this is the providence of God. God gave her favor in his sight. Cause he it's not that he wants her for himself, but he favored Esther. Um, something about Esther caused him to favor her. She obtained his favor. This reminds me of, again, what happened with Daniel and his friends. If you guys remember in Daniel chapter one, um, these, these young Hebrew boys are in Babylon and the king has brought them into his school, into his home and is offering them food from his table and drink from his table. And, and they say to the guy that's in charge of them, they say, Hey man, we, we don't want to eat the king's food and defile ourselves. And we don't want to drink his drink. We would prefer to eat vegetables and water. Is that cool? And the Bible says that God gave them favor in the eyes of that person because y'all know they could have gotten trouble for that, um, for, for, for not taking the king. Like I offered you my provisions. They could kill all of them as a sign of, you know, just show everybody else what happens when you don't take what I offer you or whatever. But because he favored them, he says, I'm going to let y'all do this for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, I'll test you. And, and it was a miracle, right? Because at the end of 10 days of eating vegetables and water, it says that their faces were fatter and fuller than that. They looked, they looked like they was getting chubby. They was, they look healthier than everybody else that was eating the portion of the King's delicacies. And I've often said this, if I ate vegetable and water for 10 days and look fatter, I'm going to be ticked off. I'm going to be some kind of mad. I mean, that, that ain't the kind of miracle I'm looking for in my life, you know? I want to eat the king delicacies and, and, and trim up is what I want to do. So uh, anyway, so, but they have favor in the eyes of the person in charge of them as Esther does here. And so he gives her extras. I want you to note verse nine. It says he readily gave her the regular beauty preparations. So these women got a year to prepare to go before the king and, and just get beautiful. They had body treatments they had oil treatments. It was like a, uh, an, an exclusive spa that they were living in. Um, she had that allowance. Um, it says that she was given seven choice maid servants. So she had seven women that were there just to provide for whatever she needed for her beautification. I mean, I don't know what you could do for a year to get beautiful. Um, and so I would just imagine if she was already fine. 
that with a year of, you know, ointments and oils and skin treatments and whatever else they do to get beautiful back in Persia, back in those days, I mean, you know, she was going to be something else. But she she had seven extra women there to, to you know, be at her beck and call. Uh, and it says that he put her and her maidservants in the best place in the in the house of the women. So she had the she had the nicest quarters there in the king's palace and in, in the house of the women. So God favored her again up until this point. It doesn't seem like anything has been her fault. It's just been God's providence in her life. God's providence that you were born, your parents died. God's providence that Mordecai would step up, take, take you on. God's providence that you were beautiful and, and form and appearance. God's providence that you were selected to go at this particular time in history where this pagan Persian king needs a new wife that you young Jewish girl would be, you know, brought in and he doesn't know her race yet. We'll see that in just a moment. Um, all God's providence that she has favor with Haggai, the, the, the person in charge, all of this so far, God's providence in her life. Some of it difficult, some of it favorable, God's providence over, over her life. Now look at verse 10. It says, Esther had not yet, she had not revealed her people or family for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Now this would normally be a negative thing, right? She's a Hebrew. She's Jewish. That, that, that it wasn't just her race. This also would indicate her, her religion, her God, her belief. So to withhold that would normally not be a good thing. It would normally not be a favorable thing to say, I'm withholding the information about my, my deepest belief, right? Who I believe God is. And so, but in this instance, you know, Mordecai had counseled her not to, and this might've been a scenario where it's like, Hey, just, it's not that we're holding it back, you know, forever, but, but until the opportune time, there'll be the right time to let this information out. And so I was thinking of what that might be like, um, in my life, I'm a pastor, right? And when people find out you're a pastor, guess what they do right away? They clean up their language. They stay talk different. They hope, oh, oh, excuse my French pastor. You know, I'm sorry. I don't want that. Right. I want you to just be who you are. So I oftentimes I never lead with that bit of information. I never open up a conversation saying, Hey, hey I'm Bill. I'm a pastor. I, I, you're going to find that out as far down the road as possible. Um, because I find people close off, they run away, they be scared. They think you can see through their eyes and, you know, tell them what their sins are. And it's like, bro, I'm, I'm a human being, you know? So, um, so I don't lead with that bit of information. It's not because I'm ashamed of what I do. I love what I do. Um, but it's because of the impact, the, 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 this might thwart my opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, you know? Um, and so you find out soon enough, it's not the most important thing. However, having said that, um, I just would throw this out for us as believers. We don't want to hide the fact that we're Christians from people. Amen. Shouldn't be something you hide. If, if, if somebody knows you for a period of time, they ought to know that you're a Christian. Um, it just should come up somehow, some way you might have to bring it up, but it shouldn't be a secret that you belong to the Lord. Um, something Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33 said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him, I will also confess before my father and the angels in heaven. Uh, but my father who's in heaven, I'm sorry, but whoever denies me before men, him, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. And so if you're ashamed of him, um, he said, I'll be ashamed back. Right. So, so it shouldn't be a matter of shame. Um, it might be a matter. This I think this is more of a matter of strategy. Um, Mordecai said, well, wait, just don't say it just yet. Let, let's get you all the way in there. And, and then, then we'll let them know, you know, um, 
uh, when I met my wife, um, uh, I knew that there was an age difference. Um, and so I didn't want to say how old I was um, because she had no clue, right? When I asked her to guess how old she thought I was, she actually had, she had me, I think she get her first guess was six years older than what I, what I actually was. And so that's how old she thought I was. And so um, I tried to, I held that conversation off as long as possible. Um, just didn't bring it up. And then finally the, the day came, we're on the phone and my wife says, how, how, how old are you? And I said, well, well, how old do you think I am? And I, at the time I'm 19, right? And uh, she says, 25. I said, ah, no, not quite 25 yet. And then she just goes down a little bit. 23. No, not haven't made there yet. 22. 20. And then this is, this. I kid you guys not, this almost ended the, this, we almost didn't make it, right? She said 19. And I said, yes. And my phone went click. She, she denies it. She says, she tries to tell me that she said bye. No, it just went click. That's like, it was like she had like a disease had got on, bam, I got hung up on. So, um, you know, we, we, we were able to recover, uh, later on, you know, almost messed up a good thing. So <laughs> anyway, so moving on, <laughs> there's a time to hold things back, uh, until the right time. Mordecai had asked her not to do this. Let me say this about Esther and Mordecai's relationship. We'll see that throughout. She respected him like a father and the things that he asked her to do, she did. The counsel that he gave her, she heeded. Um, she respected him and received the counsel given to him. Even in her adult age, as he spoke to her, she received it and she listened. Um, and so there's a sweetness to this relationship that, um, you know, I, I think it's a blessing that, that God put a man of God in her life and that she would listen to the counsel that he gave her. And so again, verse 11, it says, Verse 11 says, and every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. I put this down that Esther, I'm sorry, Mordecai is, has great concern for her and is diligent to see about her daily. Uh, Another to me, man lesson. I'd ask all the men, but women too, that are, if you got oversight of someone, how concerned are you for those that God has put in your care? How much do you care? How much prayer goes in? How much thought goes in? How much time do you spend thinking about how they're doing? What's going on? What can you do for them? Are you concerned about the well-being of those that are under your care? Mordecai was not just in her life. It wasn't like now she's out of my care. She's in the palace. Praise God. Uh, He wasn't out there, you know, running around being free. Every day it says he got down there and he was trying to find out how it was going with her in the palace. He was concerned about her, like just like a dad would be, you know, your daughter, your, your daddy, your little daughter, your daughter could be 12 or 28. And I, to, I to my daughters now, when I look at them, I, I show them little, I show them pictures of them when they were little bitty girls with pigtails. I tell them, no matter how old you get, this is what I see, right? When you drive up in the driveway, I see that little girl, little, little pigtails, daddy. That's what I see. Lollipops and balloons, you know, um, it won't matter how old they get. That's how a daddy, you're going to see them like that. And there should be care and concern. Mordecai was care, had care and concern for those that God had put in his care. Uh, and I think that's a great example for us to, to take from now look at verses 12 through 14. It says that the, the it says in verse twelve, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed twelve months of preparations. Now, let me just stop right there. I mean, 
12 months. Y'all agree that's a lot of preparation? Like, what the, what is, I don't know what he needed. I was looking it up in the manners and customs. Like, what do you, what, what is 12, what is the 12 months for? There was one uh, valid reason for the length of time. One of the reasons there was so much time was that these women had came in and there was going to be certain that they weren't pregnant uh, when they got there. So he ain't touch them for 12 months. So if you was pregnant, it wasn't me. You know, you got to, you got to, you're going to be exiting on up out of here, you know? So, uh, that was the one valid thing. But other than that, I mean, it's a very extensive and expensive beautification process that before they get to be brought before him, they've had a year of pampering and all of that. So, so back to this. Um, so verse nine, King, uh, it says they would go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation, according to the regulations for the women for thus were the days of their preparation appointed. Six months with oil and myrrh. So this is what I got on that. Um, because of the area that they were in and the heat and whatnot, um, it, it said that, you know, that it could cause a certain smell or stench or whatever for just the, just being in the heat so much. So this treatment was that they would smell good. Um, you got every day you got oil. So you soak it in the good stuff, you know, myrrh and, and all these things. So oil and myrrh for six months, you're not going to come before the King smelling stank. You're going to be, you're going to have smooth skin and you're going to be smelling delightful. Uh, then another six months of perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So, uh, perfumes and then whatever other beautification of those hair, eyes, uh, lips and all that good stuff that women love to do. Verse 13, it says, thus prepared each young woman, young woman, um, went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shazagaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. So once the king had had relations with them, they're now considered a concubine. Now they go to that house. Um, and so they're kept there. And, and basically, you get if you get called upon, you get to come back. If you don't, that's where you're going to be. Um, so not not a not a not a real, you know, I don't think it's what a lot of women are hoping for, you know. So um, but they would go into uh, his care, the care of the concubines. And then it says she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her. And call for her by name. So, um, again, the beauty preparations for a year. Um, these women may get one evening with the king. If they were chosen from out of the 400 women to be the queen, then she that, that person would be his, his ongoing companion. Uh, I put in parentheses, until... She upset him because Vashti had been the queen. And so it's not like, you know, um, you would only be in that position as long as he delighted in you. So it could change pretty quickly. It had just changed for Vashti pretty quickly. And so um, for the for the 399 women, right, the other women that were chosen, um, they were just stuck as, you know, people that would be in the harem. And they would continue as a wife or as a concubine to the king. They would rarely, if ever, see him. And so from that point on, um, they were not free to marry another man. They were essentially living there with the king. And if, if he died, they would be a perpetual widow. So even in the king's death, it wasn't like they're like, okay, you're free. Go. Yay. You start all over again. No, no. You're the king's widow. And y'all stay put. You know, the, the harem, the, whoever takes over next may, may want to check it out or just, they just, I just think that's a pretty, you know, as, as the, the TV shows and the movies of this, they make it sound like, 
Like, wow. One, like the movie One Night with the King. And it's like, wow. You could get one night with the king. Like, but I mean, when you think about it, right? The, it's, it's, I don't know how special it is when you realize he had one night with her. And he had a night with her, and, and then he had a night with Susan, and she never came back. And then, and then he had a night with Jennifer and Jessica and Rebecca, and now I get to go. You know, I don't know how special that is, you know, but that's that's what was going on. So it's, it's quite a bit less romantic than I think a lot of the movies have made it. So I, I just want to be fair and put that out there. I, I don't know that this was Esther's dream as a child. I don't know if she had dreamed about maybe being the one, but this was God's providence in her life as well. Thanks for joining us here today on The Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the extraordinary book of Esther. While never mentioned throughout the entire book, we know that God was working through Esther and Mordecai to show his power and mercy to the people of Persia. Like them, many of us find ourselves influenced by the wrong example. Can you relate? Maybe you resist for a while, but then pressure and influence start to find cracks in your armor. How do you respond when you realize that sin has entered your life? In Esther, you are reminded to always trust that God is working through and around you for His glory. Turn back to Him and you will find strength and peace. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, and we want to help you with that. If you'd like to be a part of what God is doing through this ministry, join us in prayer. Like you, we need all the prayer we can get. If you feel led, we ask that you partner with us financially. Here's what you need to do. Head over to CalvaryInglewood.org to give online or download our mobile app and give that way. Once again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll also find a link to our mobile app right there online. While you're there, check out the other resources we have to offer you, like archive messages, or you can follow along with our daily Bible reading plan. Well, it's time to say goodbye for now. We'll connect with you again next time in the book of Esther with a transforming word.